Our teaching text comes from the Psalms today, songs of, of corporate singing of the Hebrew people. It's Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can have a seat. So last week, um, the first week of September, or perhaps the last day of summer, some would know, uh, we began a series titled The Good Way. And it's a simple invitation to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of the city. And just uh, by way of reminder, this invitation to practice the way of Jesus, this is not an arbitrary invitation, an invitation to idolatry or an invitation to religiosity in general, or even just an invitation to a set of spiritual practices. Instead, to practice the way of Jesus, it is an invitation to live life with Jesus what you could simply call a lifestyle. It is to take up the lifestyle of Jesus. But there's some, some tension in there because in that, Jesus is both our, our goal, that is our ambition and our guide. So there's this integrated practicing and it's ongoing, it's over the course of a lifetime. But this is the tension, is if our ambition and our aim is to practice the way of Jesus, but we have no means of doing that. We, we have no practices or protocols or values that we're seeking to embody, then saying that we're going to practice the way of Jesus but not actually doing it, that's, uh, I guess, in harsh terms, hypocrisy, but in not so harsh terms, it simply means nothing. And so, as a community, we have three values that we just hope to anchor our practice in, and those values are as follows. Presence, formation, and renewal. So how are we going to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of the city? Well, by God's grace, we hope to anchor ourselves in these three values, presence, formation, and renewal. And so on the docket for today is presence. And to my mind, regardless of your temper or your temperament, uh, whether your posture in life is kind of laid back or you're what some people call, I don't know, extroverted, um, which is an outlier in our community here, uh, trending toward that direction of, of uh, more extroversion. No, I'm kidding. That's a, a bad joke. We'll keep going. Rega regardless, of, regardless of your temperament, uh, presence has the potential to like activate something in you. Now, what it activates is contingent on your temperament. So if you're the type of person who would be described as um, sequential or logical or something like that, then when you hear, hear the term presence and you hear the, the term presence in a religious setting or a church, perhaps it sounds a little, ooh. But conversely, if you're the type of person who you, you think, oh, I'm creative. If the Enneagram means anything to anybody and you're like a four on the Enneagram, you're, you're the individualist. You're, you, if you think you're special and you show the world that you're special through, I don't know, your attire or your Instagram, uh, then you hear presence and it's not woo. It's like, woo! Because it seems like an invitation. It's something that's drawing you in. And, and these are gross generalizations. But in one, there's a little bit of apprehension. And the other, there's full-on immersion. See, regardless of your temperament or how you're wired up, presence activates something in you. And so uh, our, this room is full of all those types of people. 
And so what I'm going to ask is that you would just suspend judgment for a moment. And I'm not saying, like, dissolve your temperament, just suspend yourself from it. No, just, like, suspend judgment on the word presence. Let us get on the same page. And then afterwards, you can continue judging this thing. So when we talk about presence, we're talking about a very simple movement. We're talking about presence to God and presence to one another. It's a simple movement that looks kind of like this. You got King Jesus up there. That's Yahweh. That's the tetragrammaton right there, Yahweh. Uh, so you have the Lord, presence to God, and then this is you. That's like uh, as per our color palette, right, Kate? Yeah, there it is. Okay. And that's you, and then presence to other. It's a really simple movement. And this is, you know, really, like, highly reduced. So obviously, like, it's not just a right angle. It's like there's multiple facets. But for simplicity, let me just uh, break this down in its constituent parts. If you're taking notes, we're going to have three little movements. God, you, and others. So to start, God. And to kind of get us into, um, I mean, to start with a topic like God, where do you go? Well, uh, I chose the psychologist David Benner. He has this to say, love has its origins in the character of the triune God, where perfect love is shared within a sacred community of three. So just stop right there. Imagine this, a communal, uh, an eternal community of love. This is the triune God, three persons, one God. This is how we would imagine God. Benner goes on, and love, by its very nature, reaches out. Rather than being content with the circle of love within the Godhead, God reached out to create so that others could enter into this sphere of intimacy and be warmed by divine love. And I think that there is perhaps no better place to start a conversation about God than to talk about love. And although love can be a squishy term and mean everything and nothing because we can love the food we're eating and we can love our pet, we can also love God. What do we mean by that? It is it is, it is self-giving. It reaches out. And consistently, the scriptures tell and then retell the story of this creator God who is motivated by love, who is on the move toward creation so that we and all of creation might be warmed by his love. In fact, the, the movement of the whole of scriptures tells and retells the story. In the beginning, you see the spirit of God hovering amid the chaos waters, and then Yahweh speaks and order descends on the chaos. You see kind of the same pattern released throughout. Whenever like sin and death or chaos breaks in, there is God reaching out and love. Order is brought in. Whether you think about Moses delivering the people of Israel from their enslavement in Egypt, or you think about the way that God guides the prophets, or people like Esther who's, who literally behind enemy lines, so to speak, is caught up in this matrix of power and coercion, but there is a faithful witness to God. There comes through the people of God, the love of God. God is reaching out. This is the movement of God. It is love on repeat. In other words, the scriptures, as you would read from Genesis to Malachi in the, in the Old Testament, from the foundation stories through the prophets, the Bible tells and retells the story. The God of all creation reaching out so that we might be warmed by his love. And this God, the God of love, does not and has not stopped. 
This is the same story that's on repeat today through the life of the church. In fact, but before the life of the church broke out, but for the gift and the good of the church, the apostle of love, John, he, he kind of wrote this as a little summary statement to get his biography of Jesus started. This is John 1, 1 to 4. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. This is the way that the apostle of love starts to help a community of Jesus, imagine who God is, the one who breaks into the darkness and overcomes it with love. And what comes into sharp relief as John is kind of outlining this intro is that the way of God, it, it doesn't come in the way we'd expect it. And what I mean by that is when you think of someone powerful or something powerful coming in, it comes in power. It comes through manipulation or force or coercion, a, mar a marching army coming in to suppress whatever regime is there. And instead, God allows the powers that are there to overcome him, even to the point of death. See, even Jesus, when he is preparing to give himself over for the sins of humanity and death on a cross, he has words like this, words about reaching out that God has not and will not stop reaching out in love. This is Jesus himself in John 15. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. This is Jesus saying that the personal presence of the living God will go out to be with the people of God. A few, a few verses later, it's, it's really curious. Jesus will go on to say that he goes away. It's actually better that he goes away because God's love is so fiercely displayed in Jesus that Jesus has bound himself to humanity. Have you ever thought about this? That Jesus, the living Christ right now, who lives to make intercession for the church in the presence of the Father, does so in a glorified body, that God's love is so fierce for creation and humanity that Jesus bound himself to a body, which means that your body matters, that God actually has an interest toward that. But Jesus is saying, it's better that I go away because then I can send the advocate, the spirit to be present to you even now. And the point of all of this is that the God of all creation will not stop reaching out in love. And even now, in this very moment, it is my conviction that God's personal presence is active and moving and is drawing each and every one of us through our season of life and temperament and all of that to God's self, that the spirit of truth is drawing you to Jesus. And you actually have a, a role to play in that. You can ignore it. You can be distracted by something else. You can choose to participate in it. But God, through the Spirit, is drawing us into his love. See, pursuing the presence of God, it's not just about some ecstatic worship experience where you're caught up in the moment. Although I think that is a gift that God gives, I also don't think it's just about a mystical experience, which I think God also gives, things that confound the mind. But to pursue God, it is about to, to be present to God is simply to bring our awareness to God. And if that sounds, again, kind of woo and squishy, bear with me, what do I mean by bring your awareness to God? Well, this is, this is actually quite simple because this is then where we move from God to you. See, there, there, is, there is, in fact, 
involvement when it comes to life with God. Your life is caught up with God. Listen to how Binner unpacks this. We were not brought into existence simply so that we could worship God, nor were we created simply for service. Human beings exist because of God's desire for companionship. It is the self-giving love of God that draws us into that, to be warmed by God's love. It is to partner with God. And just, just think about this for a moment. You are required. You are required in order for you to bring your awareness to this God. So let's just pause for a moment. God can and does break in in surprising ways. Sometimes these are called miracles or sometimes these are called mystical experiences. God can and does break in in surprising ways. And more often than not, what the scriptures bear witness to is that God appeals, invites, and then draws us into something. And this is the type of stuff that then comes out of this. So if you're like, I don't actually feel like uh, very present to God or I feel more of God's absence than his presence. This is what the scripture would say of, of those who follow Jesus, who've given their allegiance to Jesus. So if you are feeling this morning maybe more absent to God than present, let these words, I'm just, they're gonna read in the first person, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna announce these as, as type of like declarations of your identity. When you are present to God, this is what is true about you. This is what it would look like to bring your awareness to God of how you relate to God. So let these, you, if you want, you can close your eyes and let these affirmations like stand over you or you can experience this just by looking. So it's in the first person, but I'm gonna read these as announcements of what's true in Christ over you. You are the salt and light of the earth. You have been given a spirit of power, love and self-control, not fear. You can find grace and mercy in time of need. You are hidden with Christ in God. You are complete in Christ. You have been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. You can do all things through Christ who would give you strength. You are a citizen of heaven. You can know that God will bring to completion the good work that he started in you. You can approach God with freedom and confidence because you are God's workmanship. You have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. You have been adopted as God's child. You are a saint, a minister of reconciliation for God. You are a new creation. You have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. You are a member of Christ's body, the church. You have been bought at a price. You belong to God. You are God's temple, his holy dwelling place. You are God's co-worker. You have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. You are Christ's friend. And listen to this, church. You cannot be separated separated from the love of God. To be present to God is to bring your awareness to God. And to bring your awareness to God is to be aware of how God in Christ has moved towards you. And all of these things remind us of what's true of us in Christ. Now consider our teaching text. Just hear this afresh. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the Torah of Yahweh or the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law. And how often is this meditation taking place? Day and night. Night and day. Okay, day and night, yeah. That person or is like, or that can be translated, will be like, 
a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And then listen to this. Whatever they do prospers. This blessed person, whatever they do prospers by virtue of their proximity to this stream of water. Happy is the one or this blessed person over the course of their life, whether they are standing or sitting or walking, they do not do so with relationship to the sinners or the wicked or those who mock the name of God. Instead, they have a different way of relating to the world. And look at verse 2. This is their way of relating to the world. It is delight. They delight in the teaching or the instruction or the law of Yahweh. That is the primary inflection point of their life. And it is one of delight, and they do it day and night. This is the type person, the type of person who, like in our vernacular, is like, quote unquote, living their best life. This in the Hebrew imagination, that the person who's living their best life is the one who is constantly bringing their awareness to the instruction of God. And they do it because it's delightful. That word in the Hebrew is this word, hepes. And it means something like to take pleasure in or draw joy from something. It can be translated desire or just to really want something. Can you remember the last time you like really wanted a certain meal? Or you were walking by on the street and and like the pastries from a donut place, just like they wafted and they, I don't know, they stirred your affections for the, it's like, it's like that type of core desire. It's like, oh my gosh, I need that thing. That's the thing. Dallas Willard, who's a, a philosopher, has, has this to say on the matter. The Psalm 1 man or woman, give him some grace, he was writing in the 80s, uh, delights in the law that God has given. Note that he delights in it. He loves it, is thrilled by it, can't keep his mind off it. He thinks it is beautiful, strong, wise, an incredible gift of God's mercy and grace. He therefore dwells upon it day and night, turning it over in his mind and speaking it to himself. He does not, and hear this, he does not do this to please God. Which isn't that often our motivation? Read the Bible, memorize some scripture, pray. Well, this will please God. No. The the, the Psalm 1 person, they, they do this because the law pleases them. It is where his whole being is oriented and the result is a flourishing life. You see, presence is a value that anchors us because presence moves us out of ourselves and toward others, but it does not do so from a place of duty. It does so from a place of delight. Do you see the distinction there, folks? That the way of Jesus is inviting you to delight, not to duty. Is there discipline involved? Yes and amen, and that discipline will form your character, but it is a discipline that will move you toward delight, not despair and duty. And if that's what, what you feel, if that's the, when you think about, man, what does it mean to, I don't know, come to Jesus or read the scriptures or pray, if what you feel is duty, then I am sorry, what you have been sold is a bill of goods that's more akin to religion than it is what the spirit of truth is leading you to, namely Jesus. There is delight to be had. And the people that you know who have faithfully followed Jesus, a marker on their life will be one of delight in the presence of Jesus. Karen, when I, when I see your dad, when I see Leonard preach, who says something like, I've been doing this for 50 years, and you know what he experienced, like you see delight on his face. 
I pray that I am as like gleeful about the word of God in 50 years as I am now. In fact, I hope it is more so because I think that's what God has on offer. That it just is this thing that it's like increasingly giving. And this is what the spirit of truth is doing, is drawing us to Jesus. And so if, if, if you feel more duty than delight, then my friends, you need to get a taste of some delight. How do you do it? Well, the, the psalmist lets us know. Check this out. This is the blessed one is the one who meditates on the teachings of Yahweh day and night. Meditation can be a little bit of a buzzword. Uh, in, in some contexts, meditation is more about like emptying of yourself than it is about anything else. But meditation in the Hebrew imagination, it is about being full of something. And so what we get is this idea from this word hagah. Give, give this a try, hagah. Yeah, really get it in the throat, hagah. Yeah, there it is. Uh, hagah is a fascinating word. It, it can be translated to meditate as we have here or to think deeply, but it could also be meditated to growl over. Yeah. See, the prophet Isaiah, he'll employ this word when he's talking about a lion growling over its prey, hagaing over its prey. And so just picture this. This is the, the word picture. It is a lion over its prey. And most of us have probably, apart from the Discovery Channel, not seen a lion growling over its prey. But how many of you have seen a dog with a bone? Yes. You have seen a dog with a bone. And what does that dog do? It like, it goes hard. It gets in there. And what's it trying to do? Well, I think there's some sort of like, like raw primal thing driving it to get the marrow from the bone, to get the rich nutrients that's in there from the inside out so that it could get inside of its body. This is the picture that the blessed one is the one who's literally gnawing, chewing on this to get what is there, the richness of the nutrients in the word into your life. So now this is, this is you, like literally like a dog chewing on, and I'm not saying like start like putting your Bibles in your mouth or something like that. That would be, that'd be silly. Like take the imagery and then bring it to life. So how do you get a taste where you chew on the word? You like literally put it inside of you. So if you're not, and this is not to shame anybody, if you're not reading the scriptures, just start. Start with something, just start with these three verses. And then how about for the rest of 2022, don't leave them. Don't read anywhere else. Just those three verses. Just chew on it. What does that mean? See, this is, this is what Eugene Peterson will have to say about chewing on this, drawing life and nourishment and strength from the word. He says, Christians feed on scripture. Holy scripture nurtures the holy community as, as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture. We assimilate it, take it into our lives in such a way that it gives, that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised, Lord, let it be so, in adoration of the Father, feet washed and company with the Son. It gets metabolized into love. Why? Because God in Christ has reached out in love and this is what would move through us is the type of love that would also reach out. You see, the, the, the truth is, is I have no idea if any of you will dream prophetic dreams. I have no idea if any of you will hear the audible voice of God. 
I don't know if you'll get like a picture, an image, or an inclination from the Spirit to share with a brother or sister in Christ to build them up, not to make much of yourself. I have no idea. I hope, by the way, I hope all of that happens for everybody in here. Paul will talk about zealously seeking the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. So I'm like, yes and amen to that. But I have no idea if that will happen in our lives. But what I can have confidence in is that whether it's through an app on your phone or something that's tactile in your hands, that God is accessible through the living word. When people who have been drenched in the scriptures talk about it, you know how they talk about it? They reflect on it and they say, this thing is sharper than any, like a two-edged blade. It can like split down soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It's like the things that are seemingly indivisible, the spirit of God through the word of God can get in there and make space for what? For love to get in. This is what is on offer to you. This is what it might mean for God to reach out in love to you. And you don't have to have some ecstatic experience to have that. You, you might just have Psalm 1, 1 to 3 for the rest of the year to draw you into the love of God. See, we can bring our awareness to God right now, but, but I want us to notice that we are not the end. Like, I, this might be a bit of a shocker to your ego, but you are not God's greatest desire. I am not God's greatest. This church is not God's greatest desire. No, God's greatest desire seems to be to the restoration of all things in heaven and on earth, like the joining together of all things. And he wants us to participate in that. We get to participate in the renewal. However, God seems to be interested in renewing creation through creation. It's this bizarre thing, and it's beautiful. But we actually see it right there in verse 3. Check this out. In fact, just hear the whole thing again. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the Torah of Yahweh, the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. And then this is it. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. So if you're taking note, this is others. See, Psalm 1, the, the Psalm 1 person, a person who's been feasting on God's law or his will, is ultimately a person whose life is intended to give life. They are to prosper in whatever they do, but they are not the end goal of that prospering. There's something so compelling to me about the word picture here because it is somewhat natural to notice that there is life in this tree and that the life comes from proximity to the water. And so the, the, the life that is being generated is not like the tree just willing itself to yield fruit. No, it comes through this abundant source of nutrients, namely the stream. And what you can see there is that the fruit that comes is itself that yielded from proximity, which is life in God's presence. But have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about where the tree was before it got planted? Like, where, where was the tree before it was in touch with the living water? Apparently, this tree was somewhere else, whether as a sapling or a seed or, I don't know, they, like maybe there was a big excavator that came in and transplanted or something. But it was somewhere else doing Lord knows what. But now it is planted next to the stream and vitality has set in with permanence. And th this, as the psalmist puts it, is called prosperity. 
See, the, the point is this, like your life in the kingdom of God can be a gift. I don't know if you knew this, but you have a, a set of life experiences, a family of origin, a disposition, a temperament, a, like a quirky personality, all of that together that can be, if you are willing, a gift for the good of your neighbor. Did you know that? Like in the kingdom that God has a desire to give you away for the good of others as a gift. Right now, you're like, well, I, haven't, I, don't, I don't even know all the books in the Bible. God doesn't care. Right now, wherever you are at in your maturity and your discipleship to Jesus, right now you have something to offer, and that is the love of God spread abroad in your heart through the Holy Spirit. Right now, whether you are young and in an elementary class or you are old, like that is what's true. Your life can be given away as a gift. But... The one question that nagged me this week was, um, where was the tree before it was planted? <laughs> I kind of got obsessed with this question. I asked Jessica on one of a walk to on a walk to take a photo of our neighbor's uh, Christmas tree, which has been there for you know last since last Christmas. Um, but that's a little awkward to take a picture of your neighbor's tree when they're home. And so uh, I found a, a picture of this tree. So this question, where was this before? And then I saw this picture and I thought, well, surely this is it. This is the tree. That's a sad tree, folks. Um, any guesses of where this tree is? Anybody? You get a guess. Give me a, like a city. What city is this tree in? It's downtown. Some, yeah, it's, well, it's in Midtown somewhere. Okay. Yeah, this, this tree is in Midtown Manhattan. It's in the middle of one of the most influential cities in the world with proximity to wealth and abundance, where culture is there aplenty, whether that is high or low culture, whether it's like a punk show on the southeast, like on the Lower East Side, or it's somewhere, it's like an opera house. There is so much to be had there. But this tree is destined, for all intents and purposes, to wither and die. And there's a chance that this tree feels like a parable for your life. Like you feel like this tree, your location in life, whether that is professionally or personally or relationally or however that is, like it has this appearance of life. Like there are still the trappings of life from the ground up. But you know that you are withering. There's no nutrients coming in. And if that's you, let me just assure you, this is and will constantly be the great hope of the gospel. This is the goodness of Jesus. This is, to my imagination, like why we come and do this thing called church to be reminded of the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus, that there is life to be had in the places that seem like death. Is this not what was happening in creation when order set in upon the chaos? Is this not the story of the scriptures of God reaching out in love? Is this not the story of our lives and what draws us to this Jesus? So this tree will wither and die unless it is replanted. That is the constant hope of the gospel. And this is the thing that Jesus himself talks about. Listen to his words in John 7. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. And John right thereafter will give like a little parenthetical thought of like, oh, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, but people don't know it because that hasn't happened yet. But the spirit of the living God will come and there's new life that will be there. 
See, you are not absent from God's vision of flourishing, but neither is your neighbor. Because God wants to move in your life to give you grace so that it might move through you for the good of your neighbor. And maybe today, these are the very words by which God's love is reaching out to replant you. So that you, through all of your life, your stage of life, your personality, all of that might bear fruit in his kingdom. But perhaps that, that, that maybe that sounds like a bit much. And you're like, really, Kyle, um, I'm in a season of life where I want the fruit of others. I feel like I've been pruned to a point where I might just die myself. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm that tree. Um, and if that's you, and if this is indeed a season where you're like, I am spent. The language that we use a lot is what, burned out? If that's you, that's okay. Like, enjoy the fruit that's coming here. And I pray that God would give an increase to all of us who are like leaning in, abiding, as Jesus would say. And if that's you, in all sincerity, that's great. And I want to say that that is not a place that's sustainable because there is so much more to be had with Jesus. And he wants to, if you're willing, to replant you. And I imagine that would hurt a little bit. And yet, there is life to be had. That is what Jesus has done because in the beginning, that is what God did. It's what he continues to do through Jesus and to my mind, that's what he will continue to do. But that said, we don't actually know where the tree was because the psalmist never tells us. But the psalmist does give us an interesting and contrasting image. So to close uh, with some words of encouragement, this is the rest of Psalm 1. If the blessed one uh, you know, prospers in all they do, not so with the wicked. They're like chaff that blows, that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. See, where there is no rootedness, where there is no presence, there will not be life. And that's not like a doom or gloom thing. It's simply that if you are in a place where there are streams of living water, there will be life. But if you are not, there won't. Unless it is replanted. And this is the stuff that God does. And church, this is the stuff that we remember. Mm -hmm.